Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Today's guest episode is by Dahlia L. Zane. Dahlia is a Ph.D. candidate in history at the University of Pennsylvania, focusing on race, migration, and empire between sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East in the 19th and 20th centuries. Dahlia is currently writing her dissertation on the cross-colonial relationships and racial constructions of Lebanese Shi'i migrants in Senegal and West African soldiers, known as Tirailleurs Senegalais, who served in Lebanon and Syria as part of the French colonial army during the French Mandate period from 1920 to 1946. She has an MA in Arab Studies from Georgetown University. Dahlia was previously a history teacher and has taught courses on the Middle East and immigration at the W.E.B. Du Bois Scholars Institute. She also worked for the Middle East Institute and Center for Palestine Studies at Columbia University and prior to that in human rights for several years, covering the Middle East and North African region. Today, she delivers a remarkable talk about a topic you may never have heard of, the migration of French colonial peoples across the empire. PhD candidate at the University of Pennsylvania. Today, our story is not about the metropole or mainland France at all. Our story is about empire from below, from the perspective of the colonies, and most of all, about the cross-colonial exchanges between colonial peoples under the same French imperial order. We begin with the French mandate in Syria and Lebanon, 1920 to 1946. During this period, the migration of Lebanese Shi'i Muslims swelled to French West Africa, known as Afrique Occidentale Française, 1895 to 1958. Meanwhile, West African soldiers, known by their misnomer, Tirailleurs Senegalais, arrived in newly divided Lebanon and Syria as part of the French colonial army. By 1922, there were over 10,000 Tirailleurs Senegalais in Greater Syria. Meanwhile, during the same period in the 1920s and 1930s, With the opportunities provided by the French mandate, thousands of Lebanese Syrians migrated to the Afrique Occidentale Française, or AOF for short, which I'll be using throughout our talk today. 
Our story is really about them, these two unlikely groups of people within French Empire, Lebanese-Syrian migrants and West African soldiers. The trans-imperial migrations of Lebanese Syrians to West Africa and of tirailleurs Senegalais to Greater Syria is an untold story of empire from below, of everyday cross-colonial encounters within a framework of South-South migrations. While emphasis in the media and in scholarship is most often placed on the migrations of people's from the global south to the global north, emphasizing population movements from former colonies to imperial centers. As a result, Africa is often relegated as a place of settler colonial migration or emigration and ignores the dynamic history of south-south migrations and the reality that more migrants move between the global south then from the global south to the global north. Let's situate ourselves in our story. When I refer to Lebanese Syrians, I am referring to migrants from the greater Syria region, which include the current nation states of Lebanon and Syria. You know, Lebanon and Syria did not exist in the way that we know it today. And Lebanese Syrians, Lubnaniyun, Suriyun, as they are referred to in the Arabic primary sources, is what I use primarily. I will also be using Lebanese Shi'is to refer to Shi'i Muslim migrants from the region of Jabal Amel in southern Lebanon. Let's pause for a second on the French mandate. With the conclusion of the First World War and the subsequent fall of the Ottoman Empire, France's secret negotiation with Britain, known as the Sykes-Picot Agreement of 1916, granted it new mandatory territories in the Arab world. Greater Syria, known as Bilad al-Sham in Arabic, or Surya al-Kubra, including Mount Lebanon, would become French mandates, while the British took Iraq, Transjordan, and Palestine. A note here as well on AOF, Afrique Occidentale Française was a federation of French colonial territories in present-day Senegal, Côte d'Ivoire, Mauritania, Mali, known as French Sudan, Guinea, known as French Guinea, Burkina Faso, which was known as Upper Volta, Benin, referred to as Daomé, and Niger. While officially AOF spanned from 1895 until 1958, French colonial presence in West Africa dates back to as early as the 18th century in the original four communes of Senegal. Imperial Subjects on the Move the tirailleurs Senegalais serving in the Levant and the Lebanese-Syrian migrants living in AOF, although living under very different colonial contexts and certainly occupying vastly different positions in the colonial order, they shared a common experience within the larger French imperial polity. These were individuals who, on the whole, existed 
in the margins, navigating through a core metropole colonial periphery relationship. The men who made up the Tirailleurs Senegalais came from communities across the AOF. Except for the early years of recruitment and conscription in the Senegal region, the Tirailleurs Senegalais were comprised of soldiers from all over French West Africa, but they retained this earlier association of Senegalese soldiers. Although soldiers did come from all over AOF, a good number were indeed drafted from post-independent Senegal, including the nation's first president, Leopold Senghor, who fought in France in World War I and was captured by the Germans as a prisoner of war. In 1908, the first group of tirailleurs Senegalais were sent to Morocco as the first overseas colonial post. But the French practice of recruiting and dispatching colonial soldiers began much earlier in 1818, especially in establishing political supremacy in West Africa. Morocco was seen as a training and testing ground for France's imperial soldiers to see if the tirailleurs Senegalais could, quote-unquote, succeed, and I'm putting air quotes here, outside of a sub-Saharan African contest. After they, quote-unquote, succeeded and were found useful outside of sub-Saharan Africa, these men were sent to fight in the French trenches on the front lines of World War I. After World War I, France created the Armée du Levant, the Army of the Levant, to maintain order and quell disobedience in their newly acquired mandates in Greater Syria. Tirailleurs Senegalais comprised a sizable portion of these colonial troops, along with Indochinese and North Africans. As many of the listeners will probably know, France's empire stretched from North to West Africa and also included Indochina and Southeast Asia. Now, these men were sent to Beirut and Damascus, Tyre and Aleppo, to prevent any potential rebellions from locals, particularly Arab nationalists, who were glad to see the end of the Ottoman Empire, but displeased to find another colonizing force. Some Lebanese, however, particularly Maronite Christians in Jabal Lubnan, Mount Lebanon, welcomed the French presence, especially after centuries of Muslim rule. It should be noted, however, that unlike the front lines along the French trenches, this was not an active combat zone in the same way. And if you are interested in learning more about Terrailleurs Senegalais, West African soldiers fighting in the world wars in France and across Europe, there is an excellent book by Gregory Mann called Native Sons that I highly recommend. And furthermore, if you would like to learn more about Tirailleurs Senegalais in colonial contexts, whether in North Africa or Indochina, and she even has a, a small section on the Tirailleurs Senegalais in Lebanon and Syria, I highly recommend Sarah Zimmerman's recent monograph, 
militarizing marriage, West African soldiers, uh, conjugal traditions in modern French empire. Now, back to our story in of Tirailleurs Senegalais in Lebanon and Syria. As you know, there were surely very intense and violent flare-ups and periods of martial law, like the Damascus Revolt of 1925 and 1926 against King Faisal, which necessitated a very harsh and violent response from the tirailleurs. However, on the whole, the daily lives of these soldiers in greater Syria during the interwar years were not impacted by active combat in the same way. These men were more or less living a semblance of a quotidian life in this new imperial context. This setup was not unique to the French colonial army and should be noted that the British engaged in similar situations, including sending Indians to East Africa and Iraq. Let's talk about our Lebanese Syrian migrants in AOF. Now, historians pinpoint the beginning of Lebanese Syrian migration to West Africa starting in the late 19th century. While overall migration to other parts of the diaspora, like the United States and Latin America from Gator, Syria, declined in the interwar years as a result of the Great Depression and impact of the war, it was actually during this precise time period that migration reached its peak in AOF. In a great book I would recommend on this specific topic about Lebanese-Syrian diaspora in French West Africa is Andrew Arsan's excellent monograph called Interlopers of Empire. Now, the age of empires also brought the age of steam and print, allowing the movement of people and ideas at a speed that had never been seen previously. The contours of empire is precisely what facilitated the movement of these peoples. For colonial troops, this was an opportunity to gain social standing and travel. At the end of the 19th century, the men enlisting in the tirailleurs Senegalais were often of lower social standing or formerly enslaved individuals. Volunteering for the French colonial military offered a certain status that came with financial and social capital that could be accumulated outside traditional paths to authority. Tirailleurs Senegalais would often marry formerly enslaved women, allowing them to circumvent the customary exchange of bride wealth. Meanwhile, for Lebanese migrants, the technologies of steam and print, which became more affordable in the first decades of the 20th century, allowed for new economic opportunities to increase their social standing in communities back in greater Syria. Many of these migrants became merchants, traders, and shopkeepers, constantly moving between the towns and cities of the AOF. Some in colonial capitals like Dakar and Conakry, others in interior trading hubs like Kankan. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, there's always something new and delicious to enjoy. 
With over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, Factor is your go-to for all your dietary needs. Cheaper than takeout, healthy, and easy to prepare, Factor provides all the restaurant-quality meals, snacks, smoothies, whatever you need, they've got it. And with food ready to heat and eat, you won't have to deal with the regular kitchen mess. Factor is giving out a special deal for our show's listeners. Head to factormeals.com slash frenchhistory50 and use the code frenchhistory50 to get 50% off. That again is frenchhistory50 at factormeals.com slash frenchhistory50. Sign up now. Your stomach will thank you later. French colonial rule also facilitated travel within and between imperial polities. Lebanese Syrians Kamal Amrouwe and Abdullah Hoshema were beneficiaries of this intra-colonial travel, both of whom wrote extensive travelogues about their experiences in West Africa. These were travel accounts of elite Lebanese Syrian men who spent many expeditionary months traveling around West Africa, visiting from one city to the next, village to village, mixing and posing with locals, jotting down their observations of local customs and cultures, meeting with Lebanese Syrian migrants in the places they visited, and utilizing the numerous modes of transport the empire had to offer. Kamil Amrouwe, a Lebanese Shi'i publisher from Jabal Amid and founder of the Arabic daily newspaper Al-Hayat in 1946, and the English-language daily, The Daily Star, 1956, wrote an extensive travelogue which might also be considered a type of historical and anthropological study in 1938 entitled Nahnu fi Afriya. We are in Africa. Mruwe was a member and founder of the Shi'i Amaliyya Association and was sent by then-President Rashid Beydoun to travel around West Africa and collect donations among Lebanese-Syrian Shi'i families for the association. In his 385-page travel log divided into three parts with 44 sections, he says he is writing both for the Lebanese-Syrian migrant and about them. He offers a detailed history of Lebanese-Syrian migration to West Africa, their numbers at the time, professions, and geographical distributions, both in French and British West African colonies. Mruwe reinforces the tale that has been told time and again that Lebanese-Syrian migrants found themselves in West Africa by accident. They were all, according to the story, bound for the United States or Latin America. Most Lebanese-Syrian migrants wanting to immigrate to the Americas would board ships in the port of Beirut for Marseille. In Marseille, Lebanese-Syrians would either fail the necessary health exams to continue to the United States or run out of money to pay for the onward journey and decide instead to continue to Dakar. Many ships would also make a stop in Dakar or San Louis before continuing its transatlantic journey and some early migrants believed they had arrived to quote-unquote America, America. One of Charles Isawi, a famous historian, interlocutors in the 1940s told him, quote, I am immigrating to that part of America that is under French rule. It is very hot there and the people are black, end quote. Mrui writes that Senegal was, quote, Atabat Afriya, end quote, 
the doorstep to Africa, where Lebanese Syrian migrants would either stay in Dakar or San Louis, move to the interior of the country, or make their way to other West African polities like Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, and the Gold Coast, Ghana. According to Mruwe, in 1900, there were only 400 Lebanese Syrian migrants in West Africa, with over half in Senegal. In 1938, at the time of his writing, he claims there were more than 10,000. Although the first wave of early migrants in the late 19th century were mainly Maronite Christians from Jabal Lubnan, as a result of famine, civil war with the Druze, and rising competition in the silk trade, which created a severe economic downturn in the region. The second wave of migrants in the 1920s in West Africa and through the interwar years were overwhelmingly Lebanese Shiites from Jabal Amr, southern Lebanon. Estimates claim about 75 to 95%. Many of the Lebanese migrants received loans and worked through the French company Compagnie Française d'Afrique Occidentale, which oversaw most of trade in the AOF. The Lebanese, unlike their African counterparts, were often given access to loans from European banks. According to French administrator Jean Tabor, there were almost no villages in Senegal where you would not find a Lebanese family or two. Even though the greatest concentration of Lebanese migrants could be found in Dakar and Saint Louis. Lebanese migrants' relationships with Africans were essential to their success as businessmen, interlocutors, traders, and middlemen of the bustling, lucrative African trade. It is no secret, however, that these Lebanese migrants had and still have a reputation for being shrewd businessmen who took advantage of economic opportunities wherever they could be found and with whomever would provide opportunities for profit. Admittedly, not all Lebanese Syrian migrants of this period or now fell or fall into this homogeneous description. There was inevitably a wide range of class, religious, and economic difference among migrant families. Back in the French mandate, the French mandatory presence in Lebanon and Syria was very much shaped by a military occupation, which influenced the way West African soldiers were viewed by locals. Siham Turjman was a journalist from Damascus born in 1932. In her memoir, she recalls these, quote, French Lebanese soldiers, end quote. She writes, and I quote, Quote, I'll never forget how the French Lebanese soldiers in a snowy year tried to imitate the people of Damascus when they played in the snow. They started putting stones inside snowballs and hitting the people in the street as if playing a game of imperialism with the white snow covering the blackness of the core inside. End quote. These racialized portrayals driven by the fear of the, quote, Senegalese, end quote, who for Turjman were an extension of the colonizing entity, according to her, quote, playing some sort of game of imperialism, end quote. The tirailleurs Senegalais wore special uniforms which differentiated them from the rest of the colonial military and made them easy racialized targets for Arab nationalist anti-colonial propaganda who were portrayed as menacing, quote, and ready to prey on Lebanese Syrian women. As Elizabeth Thompson shows in Colonial Citizens, the presence of, quote, black 
proxy colonizers, end quote, in positions of power and domination threaten gendered masculinities around emerging ideas of Lebanese and Syrian nationhood. This accusation of proxy colonizers was similarly felt by West Africans of Lebanese Syrians in their hometowns. The combination of economic exploitation and access to European loans leading to financial successes on the backs of local West Africans made many locals see Lebanese Syrians as intermediaries of empire. For example, in Senegal, as the groundnut trade expanded significantly after the First World War, Lebanese migrants became, quote, middlemen. In the 19th century, European trading companies would buy directly from peasant farmers. As the demand increased, more middlemen were required. They would buy directly from peasants in the fields and subsequently transport the produce to a provincial trading center. Lebanese increasingly took up this role from local interlocutors. What aided Lebanese traded traders' successes was that European banks were willing to offer them credit, but reluctant to do the same for local West Africans. Yes, racism, big time. In turn, Lebanese merchants would often extend credit lines to locals at exorbitant interest rates. Senegalese merchants would often call Arabs, quote, nar, meaning fire, as a critique of this exploitation. French treatment of Lebanese Syrian migrants, however, was inconsistent, for even though they were preferred middlemen, they also attempted to restrict Lebanese Syrian migration to the West African colonies for fear of their growing competition and economic power at different points. Religious and Marital Encounters Now, the mixing of its colonial populations posed quite a predicament for the French Empire. The colonial order imposed policies of separation between soldiers and locals in the Levant and broader Muslim colonial territories, as well as between African Muslims and Lebanese Syrian migrants in Muslim colonial centers. So we see this happening specifically in Lebanon and Syria with the separation of West African soldiers from mixing with locals, as well as in places like Dakar with the separation of Lebanese Syrian migrants from mixing with local West Africans. Historians of the French Empire and its colonies have well documented the French fear of the mixing of quote, Islam Noir, Black Islam, and Islam More, Arab Islam, and did everything to maintain a colonial order to keep them separate. French colonial authorities went through great lengths to attempt spatial and intellectual control of its mixed colonial populations. And this wasn't only the case uh, between Arabs and Africans, but we see this also happening in Indochina as well. However, because France fashioned itself as a, quote, Muslim empire with its extensive control and holdings across North Africa and in the Levant, uh, we have many cases of the separation happening in kind of Muslim colonial centers specifically. Islam Noir, engineered by French colonial 
administrators William Ponte and Robert Arnaud, and further elaborated by Paul Marty, outlined an African version of Islam that was, quote, inferior and less threatening than Arab Islam. Islam noir, they believed, was a softer, quote, Sufi-based version of Islam mixed with pre-Islamic African traditional religions. Even though Islam had spread to West Africa in the early 11th century or even earlier perhaps, and many West African Muslims knew Arabic, the French found, quote, black Islam much more, quote, amenable to colonization. Especially in Muslim-majority Senegal, Lebanese-Syrian migrants were not allowed to live in the same popular neighborhoods as locals. They were prohibited from praying in local mosques, and a number of Arabic-language publications were banned, including the Shi'i periodical Al-Arfan. The French feared that pro-Arab nationalist and anti-colonial propaganda from the Levant would filter through these publications and stir, quote, pro-Arab sentiments in West Africans. Al-Arfan was banned from 1925 until at least 1938. To a certain extent, these French attempts at keeping their colonial populations separate succeeded. A combination of these policies and the influence of racial ideologies amongst Lebanese Syrians prevented substantial assimilation. Unlike the Lebanese migrants who traveled to Latin America and the United States and were praised for their highly assimilable nature, Lebanese Syrian migrants in West Africa took measures to separate themselves from locals and turn further inwards. Now, as rigid as these distinctions were, intermarriage, especially between uh, Shi'i migrant men and African women, was not uncommon. Fuad Khouri, an anthropologist uh, who did field work in the 1960s, estimates that in Ghana, Senegal, and Sierra Leone, there were about at least between 2,000 and 5,000 Lebanese African children in each place. A generation of Lebanese Africans today are leading anti-racism campaigns in Lebanon. As in West Africa, French fears of tirailleurs Senegalais mixing with Lebanese Syrians was so substantial that French colonial authorities began recruiting further away from urban areas and in regions without exposure to Islam. But during World War II, many of the soldiers from the Sahel region were Muslims, and there were even Arabic speakers among the Sahara troops in the Levant. The French monitored their troops in how often they visited local mosques and Muslim households. By late 1944, an exodus of tirailleurs were repatriated to sub-Saharan Africa for being, quote, subversive. Any, quote, subversive troops were diagnosed with, quote, medical disorders and sent away. We have less details about the unions between Tirailleurs Senegalais and Lebanese Syrian women in Greater Syria. They did exist, however. This presented an issue for both French colonial racial hierarchies and also for the Lebanese Syrian state's gendered ideas of nationhood and masculinity. French administrators strongly feared 
the disruption of their racial order, and the potential of mixing colonial populations. Petitions to the French government by West African soldiers who married Arab women in Syria and Lebanon to relocate their foreign wives to West Africa between 1918 to 1947 were often denied. These Arab women were classified as, quote, white in French colonial documents, and introducing them to the West African context was seen as too great a threat. Meanwhile, if Lebanese Syrian women or Moroccan women separated or divorced in AOF, the French administration expedited their repatriations. This was not the case for Madagascan women married to tirailleurs Senegalais residing in AOF. The intense reactions by French colonial authorities to the intermingling of Arabs and Africans leads us to believe there were relationships between and across these colonial subjects in West Africa and Greater Syria that were disrupting the colonial project. Religious and conjugal encounters posed a threat to gendered and colonial hierarchies and challenged rigid racial boundaries. By way of conclusion, I will just say that I think what makes this story distinctive in the long and complex history between Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East, including its entanglements with African enslavement, is that Lebanese Shiites established permanent communities. Today, they make up the largest non-African migrant community in West Africa. Meanwhile, a hidden French military cemetery in Beirut hosts gravestones for almost 2,000 tirailleurs Senegalais. It represents a tangible reminder of the West African soldiers who lived and died on foreign soil, many with Muslim names, leading us to wonder about their lives and interactions with Lebanese Syrians with whom they shared a French colonial past. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, and I hope that you enjoyed. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.